The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. morning. This is probably the first time I can remember preaching where I could see my breath. So it's a new experience for us all this morning, but I'm glad you are here and I'm glad we get to gather together. So let me pray and we're going to jump right in. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you, to read your word, to study your word, to have you, the eternal God, speak to us and speak to us an eternal word that we need for today, right now. In our normal life, we need to hear from you and you've given us your word. And so I pray that you would think through my mind, you'd speak to my vocal cords, that I would open up your word and declare it to your people in a way that they can understand it and they would hear your voice behind it and not my own. I pray this would be for your glory and for our good. Would you help us towards that end this morning? No matter if we're here in this tent or we're at home or we're in our car or wherever we find ourselves listening to this word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, even though it is a little cold and rainy this morning, I'm still really glad to be worshiping our great God together. Um, For those who couldn't join us, I'm sorry. Uh, We are doing everything we can to be able to safely gather together indoors again soon. We have received news that The Quad Cities is experiencing a surge in COVID-19 cases, and our mayor may uh, be creating some new stipulations for us in the coming weeks. Um, We're going to find out this week what those um, stipulations may be, so we really don't know um, what the future holds for us, and so we really want to take advantage of every opportunity we have to gather together. We want to take advantage of those opportunities. each week. And th- this week, we're going to be making some big decisions. We're going to be looking over all the data that we've gotten from all of the survey results. So if you haven't, so here, the majority of our surveys, we've got about 300 feet, 350 people represented in our survey so far. Almost all are members and, con- you know, like normal attenders or consistent attenders. So if you're just checking us out, or if you're, you know, you haven't filled that, that um, survey out, we would really 
appreciate having your perspective as well because we're not just trying to make decisions based on our, what our members and what our normal attenders. We want to know what the people in our city, um, what they're thinking about coming back inside as well. So please um, go to our website, click on that survey on the, on the main page and fill that out for us. And then sign up for our weekly email so that you know what we're going to do next week because we don't know right now what we're going to do next week. Uh, so we want to get that information out so you guys can make good decisions. Now, if we're back outside and it's chilly, uh, one of the things that I did was I went to Menards and I bought a little $70 propane mini heater for my family to stick it in front of my family. And that's one thing that you can do. You can go, you can buy that thing and we can stay warm together in our, uh, as much as we possibly can if we get to gather together outside next week, okay? So now listen, no matter what we decide to do, Please know that the elders and staff are doing our level best to make the wisest decision we can. Um, we're, we're trying to take everybody's kind of where they're at and, and their opinion and their, uh, the way they understand things. And we're trying to take all of that into account. Uh, but here's one thing I know. More than likely, you will not like the decision we make. <laughs> all right? Whatever we make, you're probably not going to like it, okay? <clears throat> but we ask that you would humbly accept it and follow our lead as we seek to make disciples, plant churches, and renew our city in the midst of a global pandemic, right? Now, if you are new to our church, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I planted this church nine years ago with a handful of friends, and by the grace of God, we've grown to a few hundred people here and over a hundred people over in Sacred City Moline, and I draw attention to that fact because I think it's a miracle, um, especially in light of today's text. I think it's a miracle. See, for the last nine years, I have been preaching a message that is very controversial and highly offensive to most folks. It angers conservatives and liberals alike. The core of that message is all of us are so broken, so ignorant, so wicked and sinful and spiritually dead that nothing but God himself could save us from our wretched situation. Now listen, liberals don't want to hear that we're bad at all. They, they want to believe in their mind that humans are born good and the only reason people turn out bad is they had bad cultural pressures upon them. Well, that's foolish and wrong and, be, can, become, and can be scientifically disproven. But they, they choose to believe that and so the message of the gospel that begins with, you're so bad, you're spiritually dead, they get offended by that. Now, conservatives, they don't like to hear, they're fine with, yeah, we're all bad, we're all bad, but they, they don't like to hear that we're actually powerless to do anything about it. Because conservatives deep down believe the gospel of self-help. Anybody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps, square their shoulders back, work hard for 12 hours a day, and doggone it, good things are gonna happen. So they just apply that to spiritual things. They can make a decision. They can choose this day. They can do, but that's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches you're spiritually dead and it takes a resurrection from outside of yourself to resurrect you to new life. So that's really core principle number one in all of my preaching. 
And if I can't convince you of that fact from the scriptures and through the spirit, then nothing else I can say will be any value to you. But one of the realities of the culture that we're living in is that most people do everything in their power to avoid being told or being reminded that there's actually something wrong with them. This is why we avoid doctors and dentists and therapists like the plague, right? And why we gravitate towards books and people groups who affirm us and affirm our opinions rather than those who disagree with us or challenge our biases. Or this is why some of us just, we don't think about the problem, we just fixate on the solution. Just the next self-help book is going to be the answer. Have you heard this podcast? This podcast changed my life. We just gravitate towards all these things that we think are gonna keep us going and lift our spirits and keep us motivated, motivated in the morning. And for a long time, listen, the prevailing wisdom in our culture has been if you want to build a church or grow a church, then you have to, here it is, give the people what they want. Now, you can trace this back to a lot of things, but one of the things, this is a result of capitalism making its way into the church. Now, I'm not saying capitalism is bad. In many ways, it's it's, it's amazing. It's great. It's lifted more people out of poverty, poverty than any other philosophy in history. But it's got some downsides. It's got some negatives along with it. And capitalism says this. Think of the church as a supplier of Christian goods and services. And think of people as consumers of religious goods and services. See, now if you're in business, you know you know, simple principle, the, cost, the customer is always right, right? Your job is to give the customer what they want. If you want to stay in business for very long, you've got to make the customer happy and give them what they want. So here's what happens. When a pastor or church leaders or denominations become affected by this consumeristic mindset, the pastor begins to think, that it's his job to give the people what they want. They won't show up if I don't give them what they want. So he begins to ask the question, maybe explicitly or implicitly, he asks the question, what kind of church do people in my city want? Well, here's the problem with that. The answer to that question is usually, they want a short service? They want a contemporary service. They want a fun service. They want a creative service. They want an uplifting service. They want an easy service. They want a service with heat, right? Or air conditioning, right? Now here, here's, we could ask, okay, that from that service, we're about forming disciples of Jesus. What type of disciple will that service make? And the short answer is, it will create an entertainment-driven consumer who comes to consume, to be entertained. And then the pastor asks, oh, 
What kind of sermons do people want to hear? Well, the answer to those questions are almost just the, the same. A short sermon, <laughs> uplifting sermon, emotionally ser- emotional sermons, funny sermons, sermons with lots of stories that I can really relate to, sermons that cover a lot of topics that are easy to apply to my life. And what kind of disciple do those sermons make? Ultimately, the answer is shallow. Shallow sermons make shallow disciples who are not ready to live in a culture such as ours. And when people become affected by this consumeristic mindset, guess what? They begin to look for a church the same way they look for a gym or a grocery store. They want a church that provides the most goods and services at the least personal cost for them. They want a pastor who week after week meets their emotional and spiritual needs for a little Sunday morning mental health pick-me-up without ever offending them and challenging them. And guess what? Those type of churches and those type of pastors uh, create non-resilient disciples. Disciples that can't handle pressure. Disciples who are weak. Disciples who are easily offended. Disciples who can't stand up in a storm. And Jesus, we talked about this at the men's discipleship. Jesus tells us to build our lives on his foundation because a storm is coming. That every person's life, family, business, ministry will be impacted by a storm that's on the horizon. And if your foundation isn't built on Jesus Christ and you're not a resilient disciple, guess what? When the storm comes, everything gets crushed. And COVID-19 is exposing this reality right now. Now that it's a little more difficult, now that it's not comfortable to gather, Intendance is drastically down in most churches. They say millennials are just not coming back to the church because they're just staying home and watching it from some high success, successful megachurch pastor that they can have a $20,000 red camera and it just feels like you're right there in the room with them. Why don't I just watch it from my bed? Here's why you shouldn't watch it from your bed. Resilient disciples don't watch it from their bed. And watching, you, oh that's like, I'm just going to work. You can't, uh, I can't even. You, to become a resilient disciple, you've got to do hard things, things that require resiliency. That's why. They even say right now, Barna Research Group says that they're expecting right now 20% of all churches to not make it through 2021. 20%. Two out of every 10 churches you see on the street won't be here next year, potentially. Now, in one sense, this shouldn't surprise us. If you are a student of history and you are a student of scripture, this shouldn't surprise us. The apostle Paul wrote to his protege Timothy in the first century and he said this, I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's what he tells him. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? (laughs) 
When it's convenient and when it's not convenient. When it's hot and when it's cold. Preach the word. And this is what he says about preaching the word. Reprove. That means to correct strongly. To rebuke. To exhort. To build up. With complete patience and teaching. Listen to this. Now listen to this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I read this and I'm like, and Paul didn't even know about the internet. Like, this is what he's describing. People that don't want a local pastor, they, a local church is too inconvenient to gather at right now, and so they can just stay home and they don't have to listen to their pastor. They can choose any pastor they want. They can choose a pastor who believes the same way they do about all of their weird idiosyncrasies, all their political views. They can find a pastor that fits exactly their passions and they can only listen to him. Now listen, I can say, without a shadow of a doubt, that for the last nine years, I have done my absolute best to preach the word in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort you, not by preaching what you want to hear, but with the help of God and through his spirit, preaching the word that I believe you need to hear. And more often than not, that is a word that is offensive to both liberals and conservatives. And that message brings with it, listen, opposition and persecution. That's why I believe it's a miracle that we've got people worshiping in here, out here today. We've got so many people worshiping under the name and the banner of Sacred City Church that this is an absolute evidence of grace. That God is at work in our church affirming his word to be true and bringing spiritually dead and spiritually broken people to life. He's at work in our church convicting us of our sin and convincing us of the goodness and the, the reality of the free gift of righteousness that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I just want to begin this morning by reminding us why we're here, what my job is, what your job is. Like My job is to preach the word in season and out of season, in every season to reprove, to rebuke and reprimand and to bring correction to your faulty ways of thinking, believing, or behaving and to teach you what the scriptures say about everything. It's my job to preach the word. I am personally responsible to do that, but it's not my responsibility to respond to that word. That's up to you. I preach the word you're responsible for what you do with the word. Some will receive the word with meekness and gladness, and they will grow more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. But here's what we're going to see from our text today. Others will reject the word of Jesus and reject the church and reject the pastor and look for preachers who suit their own passions. Here's one story that just drives me crazy, but I'll 
go ahead and throw it out there. We had a person come to our church in the past year or two and came to faith and they joined a missional community and wife came to faith, husband came to faith and then we were getting him ready to be baptized and on the night before he was going to be baptized, I got a strange text from him that asked me what I believed about the shape of the earth. And I was like, what? What the heck? What do you mean what do I believe about the shape? He believed that through his internet searches that the, the earth was flat. And I didn't know how to respond to him. So I sent him to a link to a NASA satellite that you could see. The, you could see it. I don't know. This is what I, I don't know, man. And then I was like, okay, hold on. I'm not going to win this argument. So here's the deal, dude. That's a secondary issue. I really don't care what you believe about the shape of the earth, all right? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Did he die for your sins? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, then that, that's the primary thing. You believe in Jesus Christ. He's forgiven your sins. You can be baptized. That's cool. He responds, no thanks. I think I'm gonna go find a church that believes the way that I do. And I was like, there's flat earth churches out there? I didn't know I was supposed to market to that, that segment of the population. Not that I would anyways, but there it is. Listen, here's the reality. We should never be shocked by people pushing away from us. We should never be shocked by people leaving the church, by people rejecting Jesus, by people claiming to accept Jesus, but rejecting us. That's exactly what Jesus says to us this morning. Look in your Bibles or your phones if you can't see it because it's dark in here. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed or happy or flourishing. Or I would even say this morning, you're doing it right. Jesus is saying, you're doing it right if. Blessed are you when others revile you. And, oh, I'm sorry, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I want to quickly draw your attention to a few things from this text right away. First, notice how this beatitude is three verses rather than just one like the rest of the beatitudes. Or you could say the beatitude is in verse 10, one line, and then there's two verses of explanation following it. Now why? Jesus does not want us to miss this, how important this is for the Christian. Okay, so it's three lines. Second, Notice how Jesus moves from third person language in verse 10, blessed are those, to first person language in verse 11, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Jesus is saying this isn't just important, generally speaking, out there for some people. Rather, this is important for every follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, what I'm about to say is the normal experience 
of the Christian in every culture and every day and age. Third, this is the last of the Beatitudes and is meant to kind of blow our minds, to flip us upside down. It's meant to show us what life inside Jesus's kingdom is going to look like while on this earth. Isn't it a bit odd that Jesus said in the line before it last week, blessed are the peacemakers, and now he's saying, blessed are the persecuted. It may seem strange that Jesus would pass from peacemaking to persecution, from the work of reconciliation to the experience of hostility. Here's what he's saying. No matter how hard we try to make peace with some people, they will still refuse to live at peace with us. See, These beatitudes are not some pie in the sky, idealistic vision of utopia. They are gritty, countercultural values for Christians living in the real world. Here's what Jesus is saying. Those who live out these values, who let the way of Jesus shape their way of living in the world, will be persecuted for doing so. Jerick, I just have to point out that you're a cameraman and you just walked in front of the camera. You just have to point that out, brother. Sorry, guys. Now listen to this. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will be persecuted. Blessed are the meek, for they will be persecuted. Blessed are those who mourned, persecuted. Blessed are those who desire righteousness and those be persecuted. Sometimes we can think if we could follow the Beatitudes, things would go well for us. That's not the gospel. Guess what? Jesus was the meekest man who ever lived. Jesus mourned perfectly. Jesus was poor in spirit. Jesus was all of the Beatitudes, but what was the result of his life on earth? He was constantly, doggedly persecuted. And the same goes for Christians who follow Jesus' way. Now, why is this the case? Jesus says, if you follow my way, you're going to be persecuted. Well, first, the message of Christianity, the gospel and the lifestyle of a gospel-centered disciple of Jesus are meant to do two things. They're meant to draw in and attract those who the Father is calling, and they're to repel and push away those who he isn't. Now, I want to show you this from one of the most popular verses in all the Bible, John 3.16, except we're not going to read just John 3.16. We're going to read John 3.16 to verse 21. So if you go there, you can follow along with me. This is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Look, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Here it is. Listen, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Do you see that? So here, why do some people not like Jesus? Because Jesus is the light of the world and they're living in darkness. Their wicked deeds are dark. And if if you've got a bunch of mess on you, you don't want to come into the light that you could see that, that other people could see that. So you avoid the light and you want to stay in darkness. Keep reading. But whoever does, no, verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, lives out the way of Jesus, comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Here's what he's saying. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. That's one possible response to Jesus and to us living out the gospel in our city. They hate it. They don't accept it. They persecute Jesus. They persecute us. But he who does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. That's the other possible response. That doing the truth living out the way of Jesus and preaching the gospel and coming to it and freely admitting that all good is in us is accomplished by God. So, listen to this, Christian. There are two options that we should expect from every single person we meet in our life. Every person we're in a relationship with, we should expect one of two things. We should expect either persecution or conversion. Listen how John Piper says it. Quote, every person in our life is moving towards one of those poles. They are either coming towards the light or going towards the darkness. They are either moving towards conversion in the way of Jesus or towards rejection and persecution. So we should expect to be welcomed and loved by those in the light and rejected and lied about and hated and reviled and persecuted by those who are in the dark. Now, let me just clarify some things. When I hear the word persecution, immediately I think of what's going on in China. I think what's going on in the Middle East. I think of Christians right now who are being beheaded by ISIS. I think of that as persecution. But notice how Jesus here, he starts with those who are reviled and evil things are said about and persecution. Persecution is a spectrum. It goes from reviling, which, you know what it means to revile? Reviling means to criticize in an angry, insulting manner, right? That's what reviling means. It's the way that the, the... the political pundits talk about the other party, right? They revile them, right? 
But it also, so that, it begins with just making fun of people and reviling and criticizing and being angry at them. And it goes all the way over to murder and to genocide and to all the horrible things that happen. And if we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus experienced the full spectrum of persecution. His own family said he was crazy, right? He was lied about because he lived on mission to outsiders and he ate with Gentiles. They called him a glutton and a sinner and a drunkard. He was mislabeled and lied about. He was criticized constantly. The religious leader said, if you were really from God, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. He was falsely imprisoned. He experienced an unjust trial and ultimately was murdered on a cross. All of that is persecution. We even see the apostle Paul, same thing happened to the apostle Paul. He was put in prison. Sometimes he would just preach the gospel and they would, like the elite in his uh, Gentile society would kind of laugh at him. (laughs) Paul, you sound crazy, man. Come back later though. I like your theory. Come back later. Let's talk about it. And then circumcised Jews criticized him strongly. All kind of bad stuff happened to him. But here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to all of us who are his disciples, who are his followers. He says, all disciples of Jesus should expect levels of persecution. Now, when I say that, your mind might go in a couple different directions. We might naturally think about all of the people in our city and country who hate God and who therefore hate us. They're fully secular. They are, now listen, those folks are included in that group, but honestly, statistically, that's a very small percentage of our society. Now they might be loud and they might have positions in the dominant media and they may have positions in power, But statistically speaking, those people are very small. And when you look at the life of Jesus, who were his chief persecutors? Religious people. People who believed in God. People who believed in the God of the Bible. People who looked good people who were moral, people who gave a lot of their income. They looked really put together, really nice, really religious, really spiritual on the outside. But Jesus said that their hearts were like whitewashed tombs. What that means is you look at a tomb and it's nice and pretty but what's inside it is rotten. He's saying these religious people look good on the outside. They appear beautiful and moral and good, but inside they're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Now listen, I'll tell you from my experience, I have received very few angry emails from atheists and secularists. 
I have been personally persecuted far more by people who have claimed to be Christians than non-Christians. I've been reviled, spoken evil against falsely. It's almost a weekly occurrence for me right now. And this doesn't come from the far fringes of the left, but for people who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of pastors right now who are just going, not worth it. I'm going to find a different job. But what keeps me going, what keeps me coming back, what keeps me preaching the gospel that's offensive to both those on the right and on the left are two things, and Jesus says them both right here. First, every time I start to feel sorry for myself, Jesus slaps me across the face and reminds me of this verse. I said it was going to happen. This isn't the fine print here, right? This isn't the fine print. Here's a hint. Jesus, Jesus, here's a hint. I died on the cross. (laughs) It didn't go well for me, right? I preached the same message. They hung me on a cross 2,000 years ago. They might say bad things about you now, right? Jesus said, this is supposed to happen to his disciples. We're supposed to be persecuted by the secularists. We're supposed to be persecuted by those who are too religious for Jesus. He says, persecution comes. Now look at this. Persecution comes, this is the words of Jesus, for righteousness sake. In other words, because you're living my way you're going to be persecuted. And for Jesus' sake, that's the other word he says, on account of Jesus. That means to some extent, persecution, guys and gals, listen, is evidence that we are really following Jesus and sharing his offensive good news. If everybody just loves to be around us, and nobody's walking away from us, that is a sign you're not walking in the way of Jesus. You're not preaching the message of Jesus. Now, one caveat. (laughs) You can be persecuted just for being obnoxious. Okay? We're not saying all persecution is from Jesus. You can be persecuted just because you put a certain sign in your yard or because you act offensively or you're down at street and you're saying God hates this type of people. That type of persecution is because you're obnoxious, not because you're walking in the way of Jesus. Jesus isn't saying that. Now, in one sense, I am the tip of the spear for our church. I'm the lightning rod, so to speak. So I'm going to be, I say a lot more. (laughs) And so I'm going to be getting a lot more negative responses. But this should be every Christian's experience to some extent. All of our neighbors won't love us. All of our neighbors won't see our good deeds and come into the light. All of our neighbors and all of our city members won't accept our message Many will hate us and say ugly things about us because of Jesus. 
And that's okay. We need to adjust our expectations to the reality that Jesus here gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, and this has happened, it's happening culturally and it's happening personally. And it's probably going to continue to happen and maybe even continue to get worse as Jesus said it would. Now you might think, that is a real bummer. <laughs> Become a Christian so people will hate you. What a message. Now listen, I'm not going to deny it does feel like that sometimes. It, does, it is easier just to get up and I'm just going to, I'm going to talk about parenting today. Parenting. Everybody wants to be a better parent, right? It'd be a whole lot easier to tailor our sermons around what we think we need to hear or what we think we want to hear. But you know what Jesus says here about persecution? Look at verse 12. Rejoice. What? Rejoice or enjoy or take joy and be glad. We all say, why, Jesus? Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is just, this is the going rate for those who follow God. In the Old Testament, the prophets who spoke the word of the Lord, very few people said, thank you for that message. We really appreciate it. We're going to repent in dust and ashes. Most of them gritted their teeth at them. The people in power wanted to kill them, had them imprisoned. They hated their guts. Jesus is like, Expect that type of behavior. Expect that type of response. But here is the good news in it. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. That's good news. Now, I know you think about heaven? How... That's so far away. I'm, I'm in it right now. I'm experiencing difficulty and pain and frustration right now. How can that help me? Well, one, it can encourage you. If you've ever been through a difficult workout, one of the things that gets you through a difficult workout is knowing that on the other side of it, you're actually gonna feel better. <laughs> so you can push through and get through it. And heaven is the same way. We're only here, we're a, we're a vapor, right? We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. We're not going to experience this for very long and heaven is going to make up for everything we've experienced right now. Listen to how C.S. Lewis said it in his book, A Weight of Glory. He says, son, you cannot understand, you, you cannot in your present state understand eternity. So right now, we can't understand heaven. Listen, this is what mortals misunderstand, Lewis says. They say, they say of some temporal suffering that no future bliss could make up for it. Not knowing that heaven 
once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. There is something strange about the human experience that when you're in the midst of some of the most awful things of your life, once you get through them and you look back on them, most of the time you can glory in them. Most of the time you can look back and go, God did something amazing in that time or God made me into something. It's like the, the Navy SEAL who gets through, you know, all of the, the, the or whatever it's called, I forgot, the, 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 what? Buds, Buds training. They get through it and they look back on it and it somehow, it brings glory. I mean, it's, it was awful, it was terrible, it almost killed them, but it also made them into something spectacular. And Lewis is saying, heaven is like that. Once we attain heaven, we'll look back and all of the difficulties of our life will actually bring God more glory and will let us enjoy heaven in a greater way. So that's one reason why we can lean into persecution. We can lean into preaching the gospel. We can lean into saying the hard thing when we have to say the hard thing. Because it's going to make heaven even better for us. So I pray that uh, our church will become that kind of resilient disciple. Disciples of Jesus who are building in their homes and building their lives and building this church on a foundation that's not going to be crushed when the winds of culture changes when they take away our buildings, right? We're still going to be here in five years. We're still going to be here in 10 years. Our children and our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren are still going to be here worshiping Jesus a hundred years from now because we're building our lives on the foundation of Jesus and not on some cultural creation, consumeristic model of church and discipleship. We're building our lives in the way of Jesus. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to worship you in a not perfect environment this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to lay some of our preferences down at your feet, to worship you in a way, honestly, that believers have worshiped you for thousands of years without heat, without a lot of the accoutrements that we have become so accustomed to and we enjoy. Padded seats, heat, projectors, all of the things. We thank you for an opportunity just to worship you and the creation that you gave us this morning. And Father, this, I don't want to take it lightly, this message that we're going to be persecuted. We don't know what's ahead of us. We don't know what rights will be removed. We don't know what our culture is going to do in the near future. But we know you promised that you would sustain us, that you would keep us, that you would protect us, that you would be near to us, and that our reward would be great in heaven if we practice the way of Jesus. And so would you help your people endure the persecution that we're experiencing now and the persecution that's on its way? Would you help us not grow tired or grow weary in doing good? 
Father, that we would, if we don't give up, if we don't lose hope, we would reap a harvest. I pray even now, Father, that those who are hearing my voice, if they don't know you, that they would be drawn to the light instead of repelled. I pray that they would see their sin and see their brokenness and confess their need to Jesus Christ because Jesus is a faithful high priest, that Jesus is a friend of sinners, that Jesus lived the perfect life that they can't live, that none of us can live, and he died the death that we deserve for our many sins so that he could give us his righteousness, so that he could invite us into the light and invite us into the family of God and forgive us for all of our sins and send the Holy Spirit to live inside of us to strengthen us for this day and age that you would do that even now to our children, to those who are not yet believers. You would do it right now, Father. For your glory, for our joy, for the good of our city. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.